Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. It is August 24th and you're listening to episode 10, you heard it right, episode 10 of Under the Bleachers. On this podcast we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, he chose Trouble on The Ellen Show. For our conversation on all things sports, we'll be talking about sportscasters behaving badly. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to discuss gay super athlete Corey Osim Waltering. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC partner organization Smile. So here we go. Before we get into our topics, we always like to give an update on Team DC. As a reminder, Team DC's Challenge Cup is coming back. This year's event will be October 17th and will be a virtual event on Zoom. Registration opens September 21st and teams will have chances to start earning points for the event as soon as registration opens. So you definitely want to register early. Get your five-person team lined up now. The winner of this year's Challenge Cup will get their name on a trophy, bragging rights for the year, and a two-hour private party at Pitchers with complimentary food and beverages for up to 30 people. It's going to be a lot of fun, so don't miss out. Stay tuned to Under the Bleachers for updates on other Team DC events as they become available. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or type a quick review means a lot to help us get the word out, so please do it. And please share us with your friends if you know people that would be interested in listening in. With that, here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleacher. Okay, my topic in the world of all things queer this week is trouble on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Ellen has been delighting audiences since 2003 with 17 seasons of her syndicated talk show. But allegations of workplace misconduct began to surface in March when comedian podcaster Kevin T. Porter asked for people to post her stories on Twitter about how mean Ellen is. BuzzFeed News published an article in July where 10 anonymous show employees recounted how the producers of the Ellen DeGeneres show promoted a toxic work environment. And in August, Warner Media announced that they would begin an internal investigation. Ellen DeGeneres herself has sent a letter to her employees apologizing for not maintaining a positive workspace. And on a recent Zoom call to her staff, Ellen announced that she has fired three of the executive producers who were named in the BuzzFeed article. Many celebrities have been out to defend Ellen, while others have shared their negative experiences on the show. Season 18 of The Ellen DeGeneres Show is scheduled to begin on September 9th. All right, Laura, so what do you think about uh, this little controversy that's going on in Hollywood? Uh, (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting, right? Because it's been sort of a continuously slow-burn developing story for a while now, but... You know, my take on it is that Ellen, 
um, is entertaining, right? Like, I think Ellen is cute. She's funny. She's quirky. Um, she seems to get along well with her guests. She puts on a good talk show. But, you know, I've for years heard sort of rumors that she's just kind of not the nicest human on earth and like is like a little bit of an underground bitch. Who knows, right? Like, as far as I'm concerned, you can be a bitch. You can have a TV personality. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's an entertainment. It's a business. You you sell a shtick. You sell, sell a product. All of that is fine. That having been said, these allegations about, you know, racist comments on set, about people getting fired and retaliation for taking days off when their family members were sick or dying, things like that, you know, that's a whole different story. That is just bad, toxic workplace, toxic work culture, um, and obviously needed to be addressed. I think it looks like they're addressing it, and they have. I, you know, Ellen, for the most part, from what I've seen, has been saying, you know, she apologizes, but she just didn't know that this was going on, and I'm not super sympathetic to that, right? Like, I think the buck stops with Ellen. This is the Ellen DeGeneres show, and ultimately, she should have been um, a little bit more dialed in, it sounds like, if she's the position she's taking, is she doesn't deny that there was a toxic environment, she just didn't know about it. To me, I'm like, that's a little bit of a cop-out. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to say, this is my show, and I fucked up. But all of that having been said, it now looks like she's taking some concrete steps. I read that, you know, they fired these three guys who apparently were the, the identified as the worst actors. They have announced that they're... Um, have created a better HR system that allows people to make anonymous reports and complaints without fear of being retaliated against. They've uh, apparently set up a new specific policy to grant um, bereavement leave and other things like that for staff members. So at the end of the day, shitty situation, clearly a fuck up, but it looks like um, Ellen and Warner Brothers and all the people that need to be taking steps to fix it are doing that. To me, I, see, I mean, I see the, the two ways of it. I mean, she's a comedian talk show host, so she's going to have that personality and that character on screen and on camera. But I also think she's a businesswoman. So back, you know, away from the cameras, she's probably a, a way different person. Yeah, I think everybody is, right? Like, yeah. I mean, even me, I have a work personality that's different than my personal personality. You know, I don't treat my colleagues or my clients the same way as I treat my friends. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, I expect her to behave, to possibly behave differently and not have personal relationships with people the same as her workplace relationships. That said, her staff and her crew are people also at her workplace and she had an obligation to make sure that they were being treated with respect. And, you know, just like I'm sure not every, whatever, Steve Jobs doesn't know every single thing that happens at every level of his company. You know, like you have these big companies that, and Ellen can't be responsible for knowing every single thing that goes on every day with every staff member but the problems there were systemic. It sounded like there was no available chain of reporting. There was no way for employees to um, 
make grievances known without fear of being fired in retaliation. And that to me is on Ellen because you don't have to necessarily be there every day and know every key grip, but you need to have set up the systems in place to make sure that your staff gets treated with respect. And it sounds like she really fell down on that. Exactly. And there's been some allegations uh, where she allegedly witnessed some stuff going on and just, you know, either stayed silent or walked away and didn't say anything. And yeah, it's tough. You know, at the end of the day, it's the Ellen DeGeneres show. Right. You're in charge of it. And it's not tough because she has all the power, right? Like, exactly. I don't think it's tough. I understand, you know, some people don't like confrontation or they don't like to be in uncomfortable situations. I get that. But you have all the power. Your name is on the board. You're making the decisions. These people are, if, if you see somebody being treated with respect and you're like, oh, it would be uncomfortable for me to step in and fix this. How the fuck uncomfortable do you think the guy who was being sexually harassed yelled at. was feeling? Yeah. You know, like, so yeah, like it's, that's just to me, it doesn't, it doesn't buy her any, you know, favor from me but do i think ellen degeneres deserves to be canceled because she wasn't a great boss no i mean it sounds like now they're taking concrete steps to fix it and i think that's what needed to happen and that's to me i'm satisfied with that yeah ellen is also famous for being the kind of out of touch ellen right and i think that's a more problematic side of ellen which is like, she's the woman who absolutely lost her job and almost lost her entire career because she came out. And that's horrible, right? And it's great to see that she's been able to rebuild herself, rebuild her brand, and she's now this huge success. But she's the, the person who like comes to the defense of Kevin Hart, who goes to the football game with George Bush. And then when she's criticized for that, her response is always, I'm nice. I'm friends with everybody. And she doesn't seem to get there's still harm right going on in society and harm is still being done to people. And she's, she of all people should be more um, proactive and responsible about that and know that this whole, I get along with everybody. I can separate politics from personal does not work for most people in society. And it's really, I think, pretty selfish and irresponsible of her to behave that way. Oh, yeah. She has this platform and she can totally be doing something a little bit more positive and actually make a difference in what's going on instead of just saying, you know, it's kind of a cop-out answer of, oh, I'm nice to everybody. So oh, I'm, not, I'm just not going to draw... I'm, I'm just not going to address the situation or what's going on, but just say, oh, well, I, I like everyone. Yeah. She's like, George Bush has always been nice to me. And it's like, hold on, let's, let's examine that a little bit deeper, right? Because like George Bush has been nice to you to your face because you're a famous person. Great. But George Bush didn't always do the right thing for LGBT people of which you're a member of that community. So no, George Bush was not always your friend. (laughs) Um, And it's just, it's really, I think it's really sort of sad that people in this day and age, when we have seen how much damage can be done um, by people just sort of cozying up to um, people on a personal level when, when they are doing things in the political arena that are so damaging to, to people, vulnerable people, it's just, it's not excusable anymore. And Ellen, I don't think has changed in that regard. I think she's still willfully blind to the harm that she causes when she takes that kind of perspective. Which just got promoted to executive uh, or co-producer. Hopefully they can iron out some of the, the, the problems they're having. I mean, I've worked in a toxic environment before and it's not fun. 
because um, it's kind of sad that you know we have someone who is finally has a place you know has a platform has a you know a, one of the longest running daytime talk shows uh, is an LGBT person and then you start hearing all these rumors that it could be fake you know it's actually a horrible place and everything is oh. a lie kind of and that kind of sucks. Yeah. I do think we need to separate our criticisms. Um, you know, there has been criticisms that Ellen herself is cold and aloof and not friendly to people that work with her. Then there are the allegations of the workplace misconduct. And then there's the separate issue that I'm talking about, which is some of these positions that Ellen, have taken, Ellen has taken that I think are damaging to the community as a whole, but are separate from her talk show. And they're all, they're all different. The, the worst of them being the second one, which is the toxic workplace environment. It sounds like that is being legitimately and seriously addressed. Yeah. And I'm happy about that. And I'm, I'm disappointed to hear that that was the situation and then it went on as long as it did. But I'm also satisfied that it seems to be being addressed in the best way possible. And as far as I'm concerned, the show should go forward and be better. And as long as there's no evidence that those things they're doing to fix it are just fake and being used as like a cover-up as long as it is real change and it stays as far as i'm concerned that's done now the second thing is ellen truly a bitch i don't know and i don't care i think she is entitled to be a bitch whatever she's obviously really good at her job if she's a bitch don't be friends with her she has come out and said that like She's actually just an introvert, and sometimes it comes across the wrong way. And I sort of feel like, all right, that's, I don't know. I know plenty of introverts who might seem shy or quiet, but that's not the same as seeming like a bitch. I don't know. So I don't know if I buy that, but I also don't think she's necessarily required to be everybody's best friend. Yeah. And then, you know, the third thing, which is what does she choose to do with her platform? To me, that's disappointing to me, but then it's like my choice if I want to buy her product. You know what I mean? Like, I think people should keep speaking out against the way she misuses her platforms because I hope that she will grow and change. Um, But in the meantime, I'm glad that there is a funny, popular gay woman on TV every day doing her thing, and I say more power to her. Yeah, and I'm totally glad that people are finally taking accountability. You know, no one should feel like they're being abused or, or uh, be in a workplace that's very toxic and where they have no outlet to talk to someone about what's going on. So I'm glad that, yeah, that the show producers are actually taking care of it and Warner Media is actually taking care of uh, what's going on. So hopefully, you know, wish them luck for the next season. Yeah, for sure. And one last comment celebrities need to stop coming out in quote unquote support of Ellen and being like, she was always nice <laughs> to me because this whole, again, this whole idea you're a celebrity, that, right, of, like, course. You're, of course, people are nice to you. You're a fucking celebrity. <laughs> I don't I like the idea that that somehow means that the person is a good person or is any indication of how they treat anybody else is ludicrous. And I don't want to hear it. Anymore. <laughs> but Totally agree. That's fine. But yes, I, I'm not looking to cancel Ellen. I'm all for Ellen's continued success and hopefully her growth as a human being and a leader of the LGBT community. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that, that, I mean, that's all well and good. I knew that we couldn't avoid this Ellen topic forever. It's been simmering for so long. I knew you'd force it to 
be discussed at some point, but let's move on to sports and tell me um, your sports topic for the week. Okay, so for my sports topic, I'm talking about hot mics, the recording device, not the hot gay wrestler who just married his husband in March. Hot mics have given us many amazing gaffes, including Joe Biden's This is a Big Fucking Deal and George Bush's Major League Assholes gaffe. Unfortunately, we get to see the real side of what people are thinking when their off-the-cuff remarks are recorded and broadcasted. Sportscaster Tom Brenneman was caught naming an unspecified city as, quote, one of the fag capitals of the world. In the fifth inning of Game 2 of a doubleheader between the Reds and the Royals, Brenneman offered an on-air apology before he was replaced by his co-host. The Reds have suspended Brenneman indefinitely, and Fox Sports stated that he will not return to call NFL games in the fall. Days later, Mike Milbury was caught on, on camera giving an off-the-cuff remark about the state of, of the NHL during COVID. While commenting during a match between the New York Islanders and the Washington Capitals, Milbury and his co-host were discussing the advantages of playing hockey in a sports bubble. Milbury chimed in, it's a perfect place, not any women to disrupt your concentration. NBC Sports offered an apology and announced Milbury would not be returning anytime soon. The debate for fans is, should we fire commentators who make such comments on what happened or use this as a teaching moment? All right, Laura, so what do you think? Well, I don't think that needs to be an either or. I think you can both fire the guy and use it as a teaching moment. So, and I think in the case of somebody like Tom Brenneman, that's exactly what should happen. Um, there's no excuse for using the word fag as a derogatory term on television. There's just no excuse for it. Um, and he absolutely should be fired. And I believe he's essentially been fired at this point. But um, yeah. the other comment, you know, by Milbury, it's a perfect place, not any women to disrupt your concentration. I'm not sure I'm even offended by that or understand why that's really that offensive. I mean, I didn't hear it in context. So maybe the context was more offensive than it sounds. But to me, he's just saying, you know, guys are focusing only on their sport and nothing else. Um, I don't think he was saying women are bad for hockey. I think what he was saying is young, virile athletes are often easily distracted from the task at hand by pretty girls. And I, to me, that's not that sexist and it's not really that offensive. But the reality is, right, these guys need to learn their lesson about hot mics. But I don't think it's unfortunate that we get to see the real side of people, you know, when they get caught this way. I actually think it's fortunate. I'd like, I'd like to know. And Tom Brenneman's been around forever, and he shows up in all different sports and all different contexts. And I didn't know that he was the kind of guy who throws around the word fag that easily. But now that I know, I'm glad that I know, and I'm glad that I can choose not to listen to him anymore. No, yeah. And the thing that kind of bothered me was the apology. Oh, my God. Really, I mean, it was a horrible apology. First of all, he started talking about his paycheck in the middle of what yes. was supposed to be an apology. And I'm like, dude, my dude, you are so off track. Why are you apologizing to the, the person who signs your paycheck? Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that wasn't a true apology. It also was the most awkward thing that they had him do that. Like, if they were going to give him a second to apologize as he transitioned off, they should have done it in a when the play had stopped 
because it ended up that he had to call a home run in the middle of his apology. Like, it was the weirdest, most awkward thing ever. But it was a half-assed apology. He ended it by saying that he hopes that he is, that there are people out there that will vouch for him and say that this is not who he really is. I mean, I, have to, I hate to break it to you, buddy, but, like, I don't care if you're God-fearing. I don't care if you go to church. This is exactly who you really are. Nobody, you, this is what you said when you thought nobody was listening. This yeah. is no better indication of exactly who you are. So I have no sympathy. His apology was bullshit. As far as I'm concerned, he shouldn't. it shouldn't have even taken them as long as it took them to get his ass off the air, and he should not, um, you know, be nationally broadcast ever again. But I, to me, that's a very simple kind of um, thing, and I do think you can use it as a teaching moment, and maybe the lesson is if you're going to behave this way, you're going to lose your job. And that's how it becomes a teaching moment. You know, I don't think you have to give him another chance in order for the teaching moment to be effective. No, yeah, I totally agree. And I don't know, it's just, it, it's just weird. Like you have your, you know, these commentators have been around forever and, you know, even sports stars and stuff like that when they say something like this. And it's just, it's really kind of sad. I mean, it's kind of sad when you lift these people up. I mean, they've been around the industry for so long and then you hear what they're really, what they really mean, you know, when they think they're by themselves. Right. And at the end of the day, if you want to be a fucking homophobe, be a homophobe. It's a free country. But there are consequences. And if you are being overpaid to talk about sports on air, there, you know, that's not a place. There are LGBT people who are sports fans. There are LGBT people who play sports. And people know that. And they know that if they're going to try to sell a product based around sports, they're not going to do a very good job spelling it from the mouth of a homophobe. So the consequence of being one is that you're probably not going to be employable in that industry anymore. And that's, you know, that's the consequence of having your free speech rights and having um, your freedom of your opinion. And I give props, I guess, to Fox Sports who – pulled him off immediately instead of waiting a couple days or anything like that. I mean, they knew it was a problem. They're like, now nah, we're taking you off now. Yeah, no, I mean, I actually think it took them a little bit too long. I think it should have been within the inning, but, but I, but I, I agree. I mean, they did the right thing. They got him off the air. They've suspended him. They've announced that he's not going to be back on the air at least anytime soon. And I think those are all the right moves. He clearly was talking about Kansas city and, I don't know that much about Kansas City, but it's certainly news to me that it's a gay mecca. I wasn't aware that. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm still kind of offended. I thought he was talking about DC because we are the what quote unquote gayest city in America per capita. Yeah, no, I mean, based on what I read about the context that it was set in, it seems like it was pretty clear that he was talking about Kansas City, and that in and of itself was news to me. It makes me kind of want to visit Kansas City sooner. So. <laughs> maybe one good thing came of it um he let a lot of gay people know that we should all run out and visit kansas city <laughs> what Sounds do you good. think about what did, i mean what did you think about mike milbury though like did you think it was super sexist of him <laughs> I, honestly when i heard it because I, I actually saw the full like clip and they were just talking about like oh yeah it's just guys being guys basically and everyone you know if you love the sport and love your team this is the best place and it was kind of like one of those, like, oh yeah, you don't have people distract, you don't have women distracting you, or whatever. And I was just like, yeah. Was, I, yeah. To me, that's not that sexist. If anything, it's a knock on the athletes that they can't like perform very well if women are just so distracting to them by just existing. <laughs> but you it's, know, yeah, more so than like, the athletes, we have to put right. them in a bubble so that they can focus. Yeah, on what they can be like, paid to do. 
Listen, if he had said something like women shouldn't be allowed to wear tank tops to a hockey game because it's distracting to hockey players, then I would take issue, right? Because then he's putting the responsibility on women to behave differently so that men don't objectify them. And that's problematic. And again, because I didn't hear this said in context, maybe I'm missing something about what was going on that was a lot more offensive. But to me, this one is not problematic at all. (laughs) Well, you know, this also just goes to show we've talked about this more than once that sports, um, first of all, a lot of people like to pretend that there's no anti LGBT bias in the world anymore. And that's not true. This is, you know, and Tom Brenneman is evidence of that. Um, it's also true that um, sports is not has not always been the safest or most welcoming space for gay people, LGBT people, and that is true. And this is just more evidence of that. So, I I think we can thank Tom Brenneman for making that point and illustrating that for everybody because it is something that you know you and I have talked about, and it is important to keep in mind, and it's something we have to keep working towards. Yeah, and we have to keep people accountable of what they say and what they do. So more power to you. Happy trails, Tom Brenneman. Don't let the door hit you. (laughs) And uh, with that, (laughs) Gabe, why don't you enlighten me as to what is the big story this week at the intersection of sports and queer? All right. For this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to discuss gay super athlete and superhero, Corey Awesome Waltering. All right, so Waltering is no stranger to extreme sports and began running marathons, 50Ks, and 100-mile races early in his career. He recently participated in Eco Challenge Fiji, which is billed as the world's toughest race, as the second LGBTQ plus member of Team Onyx, the first all-black team to enter the race. You can catch his adventures and others on World's Toughest Race Eco Challenge Fiji, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. Corey explains that he wanted to join the race to show that there are, quote, gay people who are extremely active, who love the outdoors, and that this is something you can do. After the race, Waltering returned to the U.S. and set a record in the 1,200-mile Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin and completed the course in just 21 days, 13 hours, and 35 minutes, which is insane. While not being Superman, Corey Awesome Waltering promotes physical activity and health, primarily in LGBTQ plus and African-American communities. All right, Laura, so I don't know if you were able to catch a little bit of the show that just premiered. I just saw the trailer because uh, now it's officially out or read up on uh, Corey, but this guy is insane and amazing. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of it yet, but um, I'm not quite sure that this man is not Superman. <laughs> because he certainly seems to be superhuman um, with his speed, his strength, his endurance, and everything else. Now, I, for one, have always questioned the sanity of anyone who thinks it's a good idea to race 100 miles. <laughs> I think that, like, the human body was simply not designed to do such things. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate just how, you know, incredible this guy is. And putting aside his choice of specific um, events, I think his overall mission or message about... Um, both black people and LGBT people, um, stereotypically not known um, as people who necessarily compete in like outdoor events. So I, I do like that he is um, 
you know, using his platform to speak out about the fact that like, yes, of course, um, there are athletes of all types who um, like to participate in these activities and for him to encourage people because as we've talked about so many times, representation matters. And if there's some little gay kid somewhere who thinks that like, he won't be gay enough if he participates in trail running or something for whatever reason. Like it's good for him to see himself represented through Corey. So I'm all for it. Congratulations to Corey. Maybe be careful with some of these ice races. Cause it feels like you're gonna maybe like hurt your lungs, but keep up, <laughs> keep up the, keep up keeping on Corey. <laughs> Yeah, what I thought was kind of cute is like uh, some of the stories were, uh, that I was reading when he was doing these like big, you know, what is it, a 1,200-mile race through Wisconsin that his husband was there driving behind him and he was like the pace car and he was the one who was like taking care of him. And it's, I mean, it's, it's nice. great and to have representation. Yes, and also that like they're being smart about it and, you know, he has taken his the correct steps to be as healthy and safe as possible when deciding to do a 1200 mile ice trail run like honestly seems insane but (laughs) and his husband's a professional skydiver so it's a very interesting couple (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's probably a couple that has some pretty um large life insurance policies Uh, (laughs) but you know what like everybody has to choose what they're passionate about and if this is like how you're living your best life i am not going to judge you for that I'm excited to see, you know, LGBTQ athletes being represented, people of color. You know, if you look at the trailer for the show, they, they kind of bring out, like, the different – I mean, this race is insane. And they, they try to bring out different, you know, walks of life and people going around. But um, – so it's produced by the same people who did Survivor. And it's just this massive, insane race that they're trying to – you know, that they're, they're trying to, to complete. And then everyone has their, basically, reality TV side stories and stuff like that. But – it's yeah. good to see people get together and actually try to complete something that's insane. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's also, I think, a good spotlight on Fiji, which is like a beautiful place that is definitely um, threat. It has more immediate threats from climate change than um, other areas of the world, and it's an important issue that they are. They're also shining some light on that. So yeah, and I encourage uh, some of our listeners to check out this story, check out Corey and his adventures. And, uh, yeah. For sure. All right. Well, thanks again, Gabe. As always, I appreciate you bringing these things to my attention and having a little chat about it. Um, And we'll uh, look forward to doing it again next week. Sounds good. Okay. That's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of all things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with Smile. And welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Sharifa Love from Smile. Hi, Sharifa. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Laura. Hi, Sharifa. Thanks for joining us. So for some of our listeners who might not know about Smile, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you all do? Yeah, absolutely. So SMILE uh, is an LGBTQ youth serving organization, and we have several different initiatives to uh, serve youth from ages 6 to 25. Uh, We start off with a program called Little Smiles, which is for young folks from 6 to 12, exploring their gender identities and sexualities. 
uh, all the way through school programming and to a housing program for folks 18 to 25, uh, where we help them become self-sufficient upon exiting our housing program. Very cool. And about on average, how many people usually participate in the Smile and Little Smile programs? Yeah, so there's a really wide range. You know, our housing program, which is a pretty intensive program per participant, has 27 beds. So we're serving 27 youth at all times. Uh, whereas something like our activist camp, which is this year was moved virtual, uh, had you know 300 youth from across the country, country register and participate in various workshops about activism and um, LGBTQ community focus items. Awesome. So Sharifa, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the housing services that you provide. Can you tell us a little bit more detail about the sort of services that you offer for them beyond just the bed? Yeah, absolutely. So the housing program is really great in that it offers wraparound services. And wraparound services means that we're not just providing, you know, a bed, but we're really helping the youth uh, in all aspects of their lives. So every youth has a case manager, and the case manager works with them on various life skills. Uh, can be something as simple as you know, conflict resolution and de-escalation to help them live with roommates, to you know, budgeting and saving and um, other financial items. You know, things like how to grocery shop and nutrition and cooking uh, and how to plan for the future, whether it's you know going to school, getting a job, having savings, all of those different pieces. Um, case managers help them with those plans. And if they have additional you know, therapeutic needs, they connect them with a practitioner to help them with therapy. And really it's taking the time to get to know each person, understand what their background is, know what their goals are, and help them get from point A to point B with point B um, being self-sufficiency. So out on their own apartment with employment to help them sustain themselves uh, into the rest of their lives. Pretty cool. Are there any other of your favorite programs you'd like to talk about and, or any of the other work that Smile likes to do? Yeah, so I mean, we do we do so much. Um, um, we also do work in schools. So we're part of the Gay Straight Alliance or Genders and Sexuality Alliances uh, network, and we help young people who are looking to create community in their schools and also like advocate for policies that support them. Uh, we do a ton of that work in schools, and we've been able to translate that virtually, which has been exciting uh, by keeping in contact with the young GSA leaders and also, you know, staff liaisons at the schools and, and keeping up trainings and, and virtual interactions. Um, one of my favorite programs that we have had for years and years is our drop-in center. And it's on Capitol Hill and young people were able to come in kind of after school hours for sometimes specific programming, whether it's healthy sexual practices, um, lessons about consent, talking about gender identity, or just like fun hangout times. Uh, unfortunately with COVID, that now looks a little different. Uh, and that's something that I am looking forward to the day when the young people can all meet in person again. Uh, but we have been able to pivot and provide spaces for the kind of drop-in center experience, both uh, using Zoom, which is 
uh, sort of funny to have a bunch of young queer youth on on Zoom meetings, and you're like, "Are you ready for this conference call?" <laughs> uh, and then also on Discord, which is a chat platform that I had never heard of, but um, provides a space for our young people to connect and um, isn't you know branded in any sort of way with like smile or queer or gay. So. For young people who aren't out at home, it's been a really great lifeline for them to still connect to um, other queer and trans youth, but without having to out themselves in their homes. Um, I was wondering if you have any personal sort of stories or anecdotes that you could share about ways that you've seen Smile's work make a difference in the community. Yeah, so uh, prior to COVID, I was lucky enough to have the SMILE office space also be the youth center space. And in that way, I was able to meet a lot of the young people that we worked with and, uh, you know, see some of their growth. And it's really, really just inspiring. You know, it's from, you know, meeting some of the young people that we awarded a youth leadership award to. Uh, and youth leadership award is... Um, a cash award for secondary education. So it could be college, trade school, beauty school, anything like that. Uh, and you're know, meeting those young people and then seeing them come back, you know, Christmas break and say, you know, hey, being at college has been incredible for me. The support from Smile really made this happen. Uh, here's a film I made in my film studies class. Would you like to see it? Like, yeah, I would. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, awesome. that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, that's really <laughs> um, Yeah, and then, you know, uh, or even just the young people where you see them start to come in, maybe they're, they're first coming out, and they're 14 or 15, and then you know, they come to the youth center, and you see them grow, and then you know, the next thing you know, they're a young adult who has a job and, like, doesn't come around as often anymore, but that's because they're out of their toxic housing situation and have found uh, you know, roommates that are supportive of their identity and they're working and supporting themselves and happy and fulfilled. And just like seeing that growth in the young people is just really inspiring and incredible. Uh, Sharifa, is there anything that you wish more people knew about SMILE or the issues that SMILE is working on solving? Yeah, um, you know, I think there is a misconception among some older LGBT BTQ people, uh, that everything is better now. And, you know, things have certainly changed. Society has evolved and there is a certain amount of acceptance, uh, that people have now that maybe wasn't there when people were younger. You know, it's, it's different from the sixties. It's different from the eighties. It's even, you know, different from the aughts. Um, but you know, a lot of older LGBTQ people feel that, young people today have it so easy and really that's not the case there are still so many hurdles and you know things in the way of young lgbtq people being accepted and and becoming healthy happy adult people and there are still young people that are kicked out of their homes when they come out there are still young people that are bullied at school there are still young people that are you know, discriminated against at their place of work. And all of these issues are still there. And just because people like to watch RuPaul's Drag Race doesn't mean 
that it's not still hard to be a young queer person to help those young people and also, you know, hopefully help more generally with societal acceptance because, you know, one day, hopefully, SMILE won't need to exist. You know, one day, hopefully, we won't have to have a special place for LGBTQ youth, but the fact is today LGBTQ youth are more likely to have suicidal ideation, more likely to face housing insecurity, um, you know, more likely to have substance abuse issues. And this is all from systemic issues. And so hopefully we can you know, support these individual young people that we interact with in our programs, but also, you know, really push for cultural competency across the board so that one day smile doesn't need to be there. Yeah, that's, you know, I completely agree, agree with you. I think, you know, sometimes there is this a little bit of a disconnect for people. They think, you know, the challenges are over. And I, you know, I, I think, you know, to some extent, it's maybe a different set of challenges, or maybe we've raised the bar on our expectations, you know, whereas maybe 30 years ago, we just wanted people not to be lynched for being gay. We've raised our expectations a little bit um, now and want people to actually be able to live a healthy and fulfilling life. So, and I can tell you, you know, for me, I, um, with organizations like SMILE and other LGBTQ focused organizations, I, I like to think of it as, you know, not that we hope someday they won't need to exist, but that we hope someday they can exist merely as a social and support sort of networking organization mm -hmm. so, that, so that LGBTQ youth might have a place to come together and network and socialize, but don't need, you know, a special place to go to get basic human services or support, you know, for their everyday life. Yeah. Fall's coming up, and we know one of the highlights of the LGBT calendar in D.C. is the Smile Fall Brunch. Can you talk a little bit about what's going to happen this year because of COVID? Yeah, absolutely. So this year, we are moving forward with a virtual brunch. Obviously, this will be a little bit different than years past, but we're really excited about the opportunity uh, because it means that you know, we're going to be able to really provide information and, and, and content about the work that SMILE is doing uh, without some of the distractions that say, you know, 800 people in a ballroom might um, give you. And we're excited about the possibility of reaching more people. You know, this, if you're not in town on October 11th, uh, you can still participate in the brunch. Uh, if you're summering in the Outer Banks, like you can still, I guess it'll be fall, but you can still <laughs> participate <laughs> uh, in the brunch. Shreefa, other than the brunch, are there any other fun events that Smile puts on every year that you'd like to tell people about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, our calendar is full of opportunities for people to engage with us. Uh, every year we have a few signature events one, of course, is the fall brunch this year, October 11th. And we also have other events that are really fun. Um, we have Smile for Spring, uh, Smile for Summer, which this year took place virtually. Um, sometimes we engage specific groups like Lawyers for Smile. And also uh, we do a couple of events with community partners, including Valentine's Day as a drag, uh, which is put on 
in conjunction with the DuPont Social Club. And that is a super fun evening. So hopefully we can have that in person come February 2021. I hope so. Um, okay, and you know, we are Team DC representatives, as you know, and so we um, know that SMILE and Team DC have often worked together in various ways. Can you tell us anything about, you know, why SMILE thinks it's important to partner with other local LGBTQ-focused organizations? Yeah, for sure. So we're very invested in working with other community partners because uh, you know, community is what makes the world go round, and community is what has, you know, made chosen family and community has made LGBTQ folks, um, you know, who we are for the past many decades. So uh, we love working with Team DC. Uh, we've, you know, tabled at Team DC events like Sports Fest or various um, Pride events and things like that. That's always a lot of fun, just kind of talking to people letting people know what SMILE does. Um, you know, a lot of the sports teams in the area have chosen to support SMILE through, uh, you know, playing in their leagues and also put on beneficiary events for us. And that kind of support makes it possible for us to reach as many youth as we do and have as many programs as we have. All right, so if, for some of our listeners out there, if they're interested in volunteering with SMILE, how can they get involved with some of these programs? Uh, for people interested in volunteering, they can get in contact with Tim Saxton, who's our volunteer coordinator. You can do it with a contact form on our website or email Tim at tim.saxton at smile.org. Make sure you spell smile, S-M-Y-A-L. And if people don't have time to volunteer but want, still want to support Smile, how do they do that? Yeah, so we love support from the community in any kind of way, uh, one of which is financial support. So we are uh, accepting donations. You can go to www.smile.org and click donate. Uh, you know, we just ask give what you can when you can, and that will help us you know, serve the LGBTQ youth. All right, Sharifa. So we know that you've played with some of the Team DC member teams. Why do you think it's most important to have organizations identify as LGBTQ specific or are LGBTQ inclusive? Yeah, so I uh, am a rugby player and I played with the DC Furies, a uh, Team DC member team, and I also play darts. I've been playing with rogue darts for many seasons and I really love and cherish both of those experiences. I think it's important to have uh, spaces that are inclusive of LGBTQ identities uh, to just make sure that, um, you know, it's possible for us to have fun and have community. You know, with rugby, uh, I play on an inclusive team and it's just been rugby so much fun and like what a wonderful family. And for the Furies, being inclusive is important because um, we want everyone to have rugby be accessible to them so we can grow the game and grow the sport and awesome well Sharif I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us this was really fun before we let you go can you just remind everybody of smiles website and any social media um, places they should follow you 
Yeah, so if you're interested in learning more about SMILE, you can go to www.smile.org. That's S-M-Y-A-L. Uh, and feel free to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And Facebook, you'll get a lot of information um, sort of targeted at the adult audience and donors. And Instagram is run by our youth fellows. So there's a lot of youth content there. But if you want to know what the kids are up to these days, check us out on Instagram. Great. Well, thanks Sounds again. Good. Hope to talk to you again soon. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.